The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise Please be seated. Let us pray. Lord God, throughout the times of our lives where weeping may endure, let the new life of your Son, the new light of your joy come. Set your peace in this place. Turn our wailing and weeping into dancing. Turn our lives to lives of joy, joy in your presence, joy in your peace, joy in the life of your Son. Strengthen us now with this word that you have given. Bless us and nourish us by the gifts that you so graciously give. All these things we ask in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In our second reading this morning, Paul has just began his letter to the church in Galatia. Uh, the first ten verses we were read last week after his, his salutary greeting. He began to berate them very, very quickly for um, deserting him who called in the grace of Christ, turning to a different gospel. He accosted them for turning to something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul had taught them, had greeted them with, the gospel that Jesus was crucified, did die, was buried, and rose from the dead again. In turning from this gospel, this church in Galatia, they they turn from the very thing that had called them together, the thing that forms them as a community of faith. These early Christians had come to a crossroads where they, they found no purpose anymore. If it was the gospel of Jesus that called them together as a church and they were turning from it, were they really even a church anymore? Were they really even a church anymore? Part of the reason that we believe they started to fall away from what Paul had taught them from this gospel of Jesus Christ. Or that most of the Christians in Galatia were Gentiles. They were men and women not born into the covenant of the people of Israel. And as the day would have it, Galatia was a hub for tourism, for trade, for travel. So Jewish Christians who had come from places like Jerusalem would gather there. They would meet with their other Christians, but they would say, wait a minute. 
You're not following those dietary laws. You're not keeping the commandments. You're not going to the synagogues on the Sabbath to worship. Are you even really Christians? Later in Paul's letter, he goes on to describe why those things aren't marks of the church. Using his own story here at the beginning, his own story of a call, his own story of an adoption into Jesus as the platform for speaking as these Christians straying from the gospel. He begins by saying that the rumors that surround me and my earlier life in Judaism are true. I was a violent persecutor of the church. I tried to destroy it. I had authority and papers, the entire weight of the religious authority in Jerusalem behind me to go and arrest anyone practicing Christianity, to arrest them, to bring them back to Jerusalem for their trial, for their execution. I was one of these people who followed the law to the letter, he writes in Philippians. But all of that I count for nothing in the light of the gospel I've received in Jesus Christ. Paul confirms these rumors that even though he followed these laws to the letter, he was still calling the church to trial. Smart and cunning and convicted of his beliefs, that the emerging Christian faith was blasphemous, there came a time on a road to Damascus, as the book of Acts records it, when God, who had set him apart before he was ever born and called him through grace, was pleased to reveal his Son, that Paul might proclaim Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. Paul, for all of the things that he was and for all of the things that he wasn't, a violent persecutor of the faith, someone totally opposed to what God was doing in raising Jesus from the dead. Paul, for all of these things, was not only revealed in his life the gospel and the glory of the risen Christ, but he was called, used by God, and lifted up as one of the most influential early Christians that we know. And all of this, all of this that we know about Paul, about his life, about his ministry... It began because the gospel that he received, the gospel that we receive, the good news of new life in Jesus is not of human origin. He says in this letter that he didn't receive it from a human source. He wasn't taught it. But he received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And we can say the same for ourselves that regardless of at what point we come into the church, be it as an infant brought to this baptismal font by our parents, or through the rough, troubling, dirt and tear-covered moments of our lives where we just needed something to cling to. In all of those instances, it was by the grace of God that we've come to know who Jesus is and what he does for us. And that's what Paul wants to convey to these Galatians you didn't come to know Jesus through following these laws, through keeping these rituals from praying in a certain place or in a certain way. You came to know Jesus by the faith that's lived, that's embodied in your lives, that consumes every fiber of your being. Faith isn't something that can be taught. 
like math or science or the nuances of the English language. Faith is something that has to be lived, that has to be seen, that has to be embodied and endured through. At our baptisms, parents and sponsors, and we as the congregation make vows and promises to place in the hands of the newly baptized the Holy Scriptures, to teach them the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, and to bring them to live among God's faithful people. These prayers, these commandments, even the Bible verses and the Scripture passages that we hold so dear, all these things, they're things that can be memorized, yes, and they're things to hold to. But none of these things can teach us in and of themselves what it means to live faithfully. That's something that has to be done. Prayers, yes, are a source of comfort in our anxiety, a source of blessing in our joy, and a shout of praise in our thanksgiving. But what is a prayer but empty words when separated from the lived experiences in our lives? What is a prayer without something to pray for? The commandments, they're strong reminders of the importance of our intimate relationship with God, the importance of a Sabbath rest, and the value of our human neighbors' lives, families, properties, and dignities. But what are commandments but numbers on a stone slab when we hold them out separate and at arm's length from the source of temptations and struggles that drive us to curse, to steal, to slander, and to destroy? Even our favorite Bible passages, stories, verses, they can bring gracious words of comfort and powerful words of inspiration and guidance as we come face to face with sin, with poverty, with injustice. But what are they when the church keeps them tightly closed between a leather binding and not stitched to the soles of our shoes as we walk with our neighbors, our families, and our friends? Notice what Paul did when he received this revelation. He didn't run to Jerusalem to sit at the foot of Peter and James and John. He didn't go to seek their approval and their instructions. He went to Arabia, to Damascus. He went the entire opposite direction throughout all of Asia Minor, living among people like him, people who were hungry, people who were thirsty, people who were plagued by disease and violence, people uncertain of their own future. God used Paul, this, this newcomer to the faith, a former persecutor of the church, to minister to the outcast, the broken, the sick, the dying, the people just trying to live their lives. So then how much more does God use each and every one of us? In a similar time as Paul, when we hear more and more reports of cancer and chronic disease, wars, rumors of wars, job losses, evictions, and more, it's, it's people like you and I, People like our neighbors who are called by what has been revealed to us in Jesus to tend to our neighbors' wounds, to feed them in their hunger, to comfort them in their grief. And while it could be easy to think that our ministry in this little corner of Piedmont, North Carolina, western Forsyth County, could be insignificant, not as impactful or not as meaningful as the ministry that goes on in a larger community of faith. 
Paul's words from Galatians this morning is one of many examples that testify to God preferring to use people in those small, insignificant places of their life. God prefers to use the unlikely, even at sometimes the angry and the threatening and the broken, to live life, to share the faith that we've been given with everyone we encounter. God prefers to use people like us to reach out in prayer, in love, in joy to the people that we encounter because it's the mechanics and the machinists, the teachers, the secretaries, the waiters, the waitresses, the musicians, the analysts, the scientists, the customer service providers, the first responders. Fill in the blank. It's these people who are called to live life to live life among God and among his faithful people. Think of the way that you go throughout your day and you share a kind word or a gentle prayer, a comforting hand or a strong presence to those that you meet on a day-to-day basis. Think of these things. These moments, these touches with God can and normally are much stronger revelations of Jesus' love a more fully realized embodiment, tangible, palpable proof of the resurrection than any fiery sermon or passionate testimony can ever give. Sharing the faith that we've been given, giving ourselves away as food for the hungry and healing for the broken, by doing these things all people will truly glorify God because of us. Because of you. Not because of the actions themselves, but because God is working through you. Because God is present in your life. Because God has called you through his grace. Regardless of who we are and who we aren't, God has called us, each and every one of us, through his grace to be his people. To be his church. To be witnesses to the power that new life in Jesus has over death in the grave. I know from my time with you that you hold one another fast in prayer, that you do give of yourselves to those in need, and that the testimony you share in this community is one of God's love, is one of God's plan for the redemption of all creation in Christ. And my prayer for you is that you continue to share that faith Share that love. Live life here in this place to the glory of our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and evermore. Amen.